0: Welcome everyone to episode 8 on the Prismatic Academy podcast, a place where we share stories, explore the vastness of human potential, and embrace our own unique abilities in becoming conscious co-creators. I'm so happy you're here. I'm Chrissy Marie, and in this episode, I'll be sharing an interview I had with one badass boss lady I met here in San Diego. Her name is Heidi Hawkins, and her story is one that really touched me, It's very special in that it's raw and courageous and deliberate and through her story, she not only just opens up this burst of a sense of real self-compassion and the cultivation of that energy when faced with challenges and adversity, but also Heidi serves as a really great example of what it looks like to make conscious choices and choosing you, yourself, your happiness, and your needs even when the world can feel very frenetic and chaotic and even empty. A little about Heidi. She created, runs, builds, and manages three publications that are pure connection within communities. And her journey into greatness began with a path of adversity that she was more or less born into. And my admiration for her comes from seeing how she just does not settle for complacency. In this chat, she shares a lot of great insights about how she kept herself moving forward and how she kept her sense of self-awareness close to her core, as well as how she learned how to do that even when faced with fear. It's really incredible. Heidi, I think you're so awesome, and listeners, I can't wait for you to hear her story. So without any further ado, here is Episode 8, The Conscious Choosing of You with Heidi Hawkins. Over here, that's yeah. because he's ready to bark. That's okay, Oscar. You can be on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Um, so, warm up question What do you do to do something nice for yourself? Like, do you have a favorite guilty pleasure? Oh my gosh. When you just need to unwind, relax, and, and refocus? Yeah, I remember when I was going through a ton of stuff, I kind
1: of like I actually created a list so I could sort mm-hmm. of like really be aware and present with what um, what had me feel good. And so, um, I remember a couple of those things were like the biggest thing that comes to mind is just taking a bath and Mm -hmm. literally just like, like you said, just this word conscious, like just being like creating an environment for myself that looked like turning candles on and having soft lights that just, you know, dances on the walls and Music that just like calms me and smells right, like appealing to all the senses. So, um, so light and sound and feeling, and just getting into my body. Um, that is probably the, the biggest way that I um, take care of myself. That and massages, like mm. when I actually want to pay for something, yeah, paying for you know, actually. Creating an appointment and and having and allowing someone else to take care of me and like and just the the um, the receiving act of that like just acknowledging that like you know we don't always have to do everything on our own like you can actually just receive touch and like feel safe and like you know shut the mind off and just experience pleasure in the body. So
0: Those are two of my favorite things. Too. Oh my god! Like I think there must be Taking a bath and a massage. Yeah, I. I think I would be a complete complete nutcase if I didn't have those two things in my Mm. life. Okay, Uh, what are you reading right now? I see you have a lot of books here. Oh my gosh, actually,
1: Mm. I just got this in, and I bought both the book, Emergence, Mm. by Derek Riddle, I think that's how you pronounce Mm -hmm. his last name, and so um, I bought both the book and then the audiobook because i knew mm-hmm. i was going to love this and so i started listening to audiobook yesterday and it's seven steps for radical life change and it was it's basically it's about not try it's not like so you see all these self-help books
0: <laughs> these <laughs> That's are exactly what my bookshelf is oh like
1: <laughs> these are actually i love these because i don't really buy a lot of books anymore, I went Mm -hmm. through this huge stage where I bought, I just, I was so hungry for knowledge and re kind of reconfiguring my mind because I was recognizing something wasn't working and I wanted to be responsible for it. And so, um, so this is sort of my, my, I don't know what the right word is like homage or whatever the, the Mm -hmm. sort of like a reminder of this stage in my life where I really was on this quest And it's been like 10 years now and that quest never ends, I've recognized, (laughs) right? So I got someplace and I experienced transcendence through a dream, which I don't know if I'd ever told you about, but I can tell you a little bit more about that. But I experienced this sort of moment of enlightenment, like my mark of enlightenment. And then it was sort of fleeting, and it just sort of disappears, and it's like, oh, no.
0: And come back, back, come back, come back. So you're just giving, uh, being given a taster, and now you have to work for the rest of oh it. Oh, my gosh, yeah. <laughs> and, but even the
1: taste, I mean, is such a gift, like, to just get to a place where you know now, like, you have the experience. It's, it's, it's sort of a knowing that you know that you're on your way to something, and then you experience it. And it's like, Mom, look, no no arms, no hands. You know, mm-hmm. like you're riding the bike and you feel that sense of balance. Right. And you, nobody could describe it. You could never read about balance. But you could just, like, experience it on this.
0: And nobody this... tells you about this before that, right? No, Either. yeah. yeah. So it's a very fun discovery.
1: Yeah. So anyway, but this emergence book is the reason that this appealed to me. And I sort of made this, this um, purchase more recently was because it – sort of, it appealed to my understanding of, um, this being this self-help addict almost. Uh, and, uh, and the fact that, that that quest is really, um, not something that I have to continue seeking as much as just allowing myself to be in the experience of everything that I am now. So it's his, 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 talk and his conversation around it is all, it seems so far to be centered around this, you know, this allowing and accepting and being that doesn't look like so much thinking.
0: Right. Are there any key takeaways that you have so far that you're, you find yourself already applying to your life?
1: I think it's just the simple reminder of, uh, of being, of just being okay with whatever's there mm. and just loving where you're at. Yeah. Just loving where I'm at, like all of its messiness and, and however it comes up and parts of myself that I used to, and I still do it. I mean, it's never, it never goes away. That's like the human like conditioning, right? Is it's just, but now I get to be actually practice. That's really the quest right now is just practicing actually, um, the journey of it, like the, 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 the movement, the fluidity, the, the, the flow of it.
0: Right. Even in the chaos, there's beauty. So much Mm -hmm. beauty and so much to learn in those spaces. I like how you use the word quest. So when did your quest begin? You said about 10 years ago. What prompted that?
1: Yeah, you know, I don't know. I think my quest started longer before that. Um, And I was always this kind of kid, right? I don't know, like sometimes, I, I wonder sometimes if some of us are planted with this like chip, you know, that's like missing from others. And some of us have, and I don't know, but for whatever reason, I i had always, I'd always been the kind of kid that was really curious and always asking a lot of questions, probably too many questions. I still do it. People get annoyed. Um, <laughs> but I was just so curious to want to understand. And I was very sensitive. Like I, I just found myself Just, just not accepting the status quo, even as a little girl, like, and kind of seeing how people would sort of
0: sleepwalk through things. And I I just didn't want to be like that. And I couldn't even be like that if I tried. So you were almost, you didn't like the formula set up by society. Basically. Yeah, yeah exactly. To be, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I struggled with like, that too. I'm like, stop, like, but why? It's so boring. Right. <laughs> yeah, it was almost like you see,
1: I saw something that wasn't working in my view, and I didn't know what it was, but I just knew that I didn't like to be at the effect of it. Mm-hmm. And that was mostly because of it being it growing up in an environment with circumstances that I was and I really view now as being fortunate enough to be born into, because I see, you know, I just see other ways of living, and I think that really, when you do, when you do have the fortune of having some sort of adversity happen, it's uh, it really can be the the biggest gift, and even though there's so much pain and suffering in it, but there can be so much. There's so much contrast that's born out of that. So, like, if you experience this depth to life that looks, like, really hard and painful that wasn't there before, well, there's now this new level of darkness, like, on that canvas. Like, there's Mm -hmm. a new level of black that didn't necessarily look so black before, But then when you put the white, you know, Mm -hmm. the light on that same canvas, now there's this contrast that really has you experience that light and the white. Mm
0: -hmm. You create depth. Yeah, you
1: create depth, exactly. Mm -hmm. That's actually really good. Yeah. Yeah, now you've got this bigger spectrum that looks – that you're just aware of. And so when the good stuff, like the normal stuff, that maybe day-to-day you were just sort of taking for granted – it's like now you you just are so I, I just find myself so much more grateful for the normal everyday stuff, and I see the ability to thrive. Like I get to see, I see the the choice that I have to be able to thrive. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, yeah, to,
0: to, a choice. Do you feel more empowered?
1: Exactly. Yeah. There's not something driving me as much as now. There's this freedom of choice and really a desire to thrive instead of just get by. Right. And. And get by is boring, you know, like, so boring. boring. (laughs) It's so like, I'll never, I can never just do that. And, and I, and that works for many and, and others, and in some ways, you know, it doesn't work for them, but they're comfortable in it. But I think that, you know, when you take the leap of faith and so to answer your original question though, I mean, I think because of the circumstances that I was, that I, that I was sort of born into.
0: Yeah. Do you want to touch on that? Do yeah. you want to like begin at the beginning? Yeah. So we can walk through your journey? Just, yeah. I mean, I feel like I could talk about it
1: forever. So just essentially I, I was adopted with my, my fraternal twin sister when we were a year and three months old by a couple who, um, who consciously chose us. Like they, you know, they knew about us specifically and it was a private adoption and, and, um, they were both really excited about, about adopting us. And, and that came out of their desire to really have children and mostly mm-hmm. looking back now, I recognize it was mostly my, my mother. And when I say my mother, I mean my adopted mother when I, whenever I use that name, but my, when my mother, um, my mother was the one that was really driving that sort of, I want children, um, thing. And, and so apparently, um, within a month of them adopting us, they had conceived, um, a little girl. Capri is her name. And, and there were many things that happened within that year. When I look back and I kind of ask questions as an adult now, I've asked, you know, what was going on at that time in their lives? So they adopted us. We um, She became pregnant within a month um, of, of that. And we also moved to Iran uh, because my adoptive father was in the military and, mm. and that's where he was being stationed and my little sister Capri was born there and and then at that same time within right shortly after her birth my my mother's mother was um, not doing well physically and she mm. was getting older and and that was my my mother's primary, most important relationship in her life was was this relationship with her mom. And so she took the children, took all three of us, um, you know, had to leave him there, but she came back to the States and, um, and we moved to Massachusetts and, uh, and we ended up staying um, from what I learned later on was probably for a couple years, we, we stayed there and, and then during this time, because she's now with the three kids and her mother's dying and her husband's in some in another country, mm-hmm. it, it occurred to him that he did not want to be married anymore oh. uh, at some point. I don't yeah. know exactly when that all occurred, but but I think that, you know, and when I look back with compassion, I mean, the poor guy, it's like the, the poor couple, right? They have like, mm-hmm. they go from zero kids to three children.
0: Mm-hmm. And a lot of chaos.
1: A yeah. lot of chaos, right? And mm-hmm. life circumstances. And it just was this trying... True test of anyone's relationship, and um, and that relationship broke, and so all I know is that I grew up with my adoptive mother, my mother, and in Massachusetts, like I said, and and I just remember, uh, I remember I have good memories, like for, mm-hmm. I have good memories of it, and for some, uh, she'd always, you know, she'd always introduced my my sisters. Um, sorry my twin sister and I as these are my adoptive twins, Heidi and Holly. And this is my daughter Capri.
0: Oh, and I never like thought anything. She had to like categorize.
1: Yeah. I don't know what eyes. that yeah. was. And I don't, I'd never had a story around it. I didn't make it mean anything. Yeah. It was just a kin. That was just what the way it was. And mm-hmm. it was true. Yeah. yeah. Right. It wasn't any, there wasn't anything about it, but for whatever reason, there was that divide in her world, right. Mm-hmm. That she, you know, wanted to make it clear to everyone that these are, her adopted daughters mm-hmm. and and so I don't know what that was all about for her um, but I do know that over the years that there became this sort of resentment that she, that she that or the struggle that she had with my twin sister and I where there was like a definite definitive you know this definitive line on how she treated us versus her birth oh, daughter yeah, yeah. and and again, I didn't necessarily have a story around it. It was just the way it was, but it just sort of got more and more, the contrast became more yeah. obvious.
0: Where you're uh, becoming more conscious
1: of it. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And I was probably around, I would say, 11, 12 years old when that started mm-hmm. occurring, right? Yeah. So here you're talking about from birth and maybe around 11, 12, that that was, that there that was maybe like, a, maybe I created something around like how that wasn't right or it was mm-hmm. bad or. And, and that's when I, the, the struggling started to occur. And I, and I, who knows, I, I don't know, was I rebelling, uh, speaking up about it? I, I just know that I was a very vocal kid. And so I do recall my sisters looking up to me. And uh, even though I was five minutes, five minutes younger than my twin sister, mm-hmm. I acted as the oldest out of the three of us. And, and so uh, all I know is that 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 wasn't appreciated. That wasn't mm-hmm. my voice, and having a voice wasn't appreciated
0: by your mother. By my mother, yeah. yeah.
1: And she and there was a lot of verbal and um, emotional uh, abuse, like mistreatment, um, neglect, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. And I only say that too because the state ended up getting involved eventually um, when he went to foster homes, but but really this this most important time this transition the first sort of coming of age the first massive breakdown and not feeling safe was when my mother came to me when i was i believe i was 14 and it was a week before i was supposed to start freshman year in high school and she came to me and and i don't even remember it being in person i just mm. i just remember getting the news that I was to pack my things and that and that I was being moved somewhere else. Wow. And just me.
0: Just not, you. Yeah, just me. That was completely unexpected. Yeah, it was just,
1: I didn't see it coming. I didn't know, I, I didn't understand why I was being isolated. And, yeah, so the, the plan that she had was that I was um, to move in with my, uh, her sister, my aunt, mm-hmm. and... And they were going to, uh, you know, just, it was supposed to be a temporary situation. And they thought, you know, they had been sort of told that I was, like, a troubled kid or something. So they were expecting this, like, really troubled kid. And and then over time, like, they were, you know, and this was a totally different school. It was a very different environment. I kind of grew up in the suburbs a little bit, like, in this beach community. But now I was living in this um, other place where there were gangs and, like, it was... uh, not the nicer side of town, and mm-hmm. but I, my, you know, my my cousin who was four years older than me um, when I was a freshman in that new school. Now she was a senior, and she was beautiful, cheerleader, popular, most intelligent. Like you know, what is it, the valedictorian, mm-hmm. valedictorian. And so that was good. Thank God, I had this great role model, a big kind of a big sister. And but anyway, over those next few months, I started to maybe just maybe feel a little bit more comfortable. I don't know. But then I was struggling because it was this new environment, and Mm -hmm. I was uncomfortable. And did you get rejected from your
0: family? Like, you know, I always
1: wonder like what occurred in my head at that time. I. I would imagine, yeah. I mean, I would imagine that there was, and I'd already was adopted, right? So there Mm might have been maybe, like, I didn't feel like I had a story about being adopted because it was always something I knew I was. Yeah. But then maybe at that moment, it was sort of like, oh my gosh, like, because I was noticing differences Mm -hmm. about being adopted, right, and the way she was treating, and then to have be sort of like cast aside. Yeah.
0: Almost like i abandoned basically yeah, while you're struggling with your identity.
1: Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. And then the normal hormone issues, right. right. As a young girl
0: mm-hmm. and, and like I
1: did, you know, just expressing myself, learning to like have a voice and, mm-hmm. and, and, and to be punished for that was the ultimate sort of crime right, in my world. And so for many years after that, I learned to just keep my mouth shut. I really did. I, I think that there was this this choice that I made to like play it safe and to go under the radar and not stand out. And here I was this like five foot 10, you know, blonde girl in this, like kind of this school with all these gangs and, Mm -hmm. and it was just, it was hard for me to go unnoticed. And so I, I learned for a long time to play small and, and really things continue to get a little bit worse after that. Right. So that was just the tip. That was just the little, the first step. But, but then, you know, for the next four years, I essentially, went through this series of moving every three to six months and becoming part of the foster care system. And the, 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 at that time in Massachusetts, you know, the state, um, they do everything possible to keep you together with your original family. So, okay. So no matter what the neglect might look like, I mean, if you don't have broken bones and your parents aren't using drugs, I mean, they're going to, like, put you back together. I mean, they don't wow. have place for you to go. Right. So everything is supposed to be temporary, and they're deal- they're, the, the social workers are completely maxed out and dealing with high volumes and really dysfunctional situations and messed up people. And so our case didn't look like really that bad. I mean, it was sort of looked very white collar. And, and so, but it was just very dysfunctional. It lo- I, I, I lived in the appearance of like, you know, at the time, like of, of a woman who... Who really, you know, did her best on making like making it look like she was very successful and had it all together, and mm-hmm. and but yet she was, you know, hurting on the inside and yeah. hadn't dealt with her stuff. So, I think I I just always knew that I I didn't want to be like that, like to pretend that everything's okay, and uh, and so anyway, but yeah, I mean, it, it looked like you know just a lot of um, chaos. And, and like I said, I mean, at the height of all of it, it was it was this experience of, okay, you know, you've got 30 minutes, like just being at home in a foster home and and being told, okay, you've got 30 minutes, you know, put your stuff in a trash bag. We need to take you to a new home. And like that, I had to get used to that. And that was like normal to, to not get too comfortable. Like don't mm-hmm. get too comfortable yeah. with where you live or don't learn to count on anyone because they're going to pull the rug out from underneath you.
0: Yeah. You learned a lot of um, self-protection survival yeah. stories very early. Yeah,
1: I did. And, like, it probably looked, I mean, it it, it, it felt like trauma, you know? Like, it was just.
0: It I was think trauma. It was just, yeah, I think
1: it, 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 it just occurred yeah. once. Like, you know, we mm. have, like, something like my mother, oh, she took me out of the home mm. once, right? And then yeah. you move back and things work out. But to have it occur over and over and over, over this, over a course of, you know, few years, four years into adulthood, which at that time, when you're 18, the state releases you to your own responsibility. And you literally, they, they don't give you anything like you, you're, you know, you've graduated high school or you're 18. You are now on your own.
0: They there's, don't give you any resources? No, there's oh,
1: no, wow. I wasn't given any resources. It and for they don't even me,
0: prepare you to take care of yourself.
1: No, there wow. wasn't. Uh, and now you know, I mean, mm-hmm. now that I've moved around and I've gotten to look into that system a little bit more, there's programs that have been developed in other states and mm-hmm. and nonprofits that folks have stepped up. Yeah. But still, I mean, there's you're talking about right. like thousands and thousands of kids.
0: Well, you didn't have that available to you. So how did you deal with that once you turned 18? Yeah, I
1: mean, for some reason I became you know we all have a choice uh there's that moment of um recognizing that we can either and 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 many people don't recognize it they just go into victim mode i i, de- I definitely did that and i felt the experience of that and i and i dealt with the consequences of that and how how like la- so much uh lack of power i experienced in that space and it just wasn't a place i wanted to hang out in and even though i would go there because it's natural I didn't I didn't want to keep entertaining it for like and I mean and we're talking I mean I did entertain it for months and mm-hmm. like there like was feeling numb or just, yeah, just down. numb yeah. and like I can't even feel uh, yeah, I can't feel anything. Mm-hmm. I I can't even speak up about what I need or I, I have no one to reach out yeah. to. Literally even through the wanted. day is an accomplishment. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so I ended up developing depression and anxiety as a natural result. Right. And even that, when I was 14, I remember I have it in my journals. I have my, my journaling was like the thing that I learned, like it was this healthy coping skill that I learned. And I, and I really wish I remember how I just made the choice to start journaling, but it really became even to this day, an outlet for me that helped me cope and to rely on myself and to kind of Tap into my own inner guidance system, even though it freaking didn't feel like there was one there. Right. <laughs> but I, but I knew that there was something there because there was no other way to go. So I had to find something inside of me to rely on because that was like that undercurrent that I had read and heard existed, but I didn't ex- didn't know. I, I I just I was. It was my life mission to find it and discover it and to like know that like no matter what happens, no matter what what someone does or says or or some sort of experience of the rug being pulled out from underneath me that I could that I could actually um, count on myself and not put the pressure on somebody else to have to figure something else out for me Mm -hmm. because I was finding people couldn't do that for me. Right. Yeah, I I kind of Well, you made the choice
0: not to be broken. Yes, I
1: made the choice to not be broken. Like there's this sort of like you're on the floor groveling, right? I mean, you're like, you're praying to something you have, you have no idea if it even freaking exists or, but you just know that you feel like you're, you feel like you're dying, like your spirit is broken. You've lost all faith in humanity. No one's coming to save you
0: you lose your you lust lose for life too. yes exactly and like there's literally, no motivation for tomorrow yeah.
1: right and so i once i hit that space and again we're talking about like really young ages to right. like experience this and like life gets really heavy really fast mm-hmm. and uh and so i i remember this these These sort of pearls of wisdom, I like that actually, Mm. I haven't known how to phrase those, but these little pearls of wisdom would come into my mind and my heart uh, in the quiet spaces. And I remember I wrote this down and I never read it anywhere. I just, it came to me and it said, and this again, to give you a a context, it, it occurred in the space of me feeling a lot of deep, deep sadness and a lot of anxiety and fear and, you know, where it's where you can't even know it anymore, you start to experience it like, oh, my gosh, something's wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And because your heart's beating fast and you're you physically don't have the energy to get out of bed or to, you know, try to even connect with the world. Like and so I remember, like I said, in that silence that I had in that, you know, this darkness, like we're talking about the light and the darkness and these moments where I would have like that candle lit in the dark. And I'd be journaling and listening to some music. And I just, I had this um, thing. It said, a feeling, if felt long enough, becomes a part of you. In time, it cannot be distinguished as a separate, but becomes unified as one with you. It is you. And that was my, when I was 14, that's what came to me. I don't even, like, I never tried to think of it. I never said, oh, I'm going to try to come up with a way to express myself
0: with this thing. It gave me goosebumps. Yes. And it
1: was my, it was like this, the little download from the universe, from life force, mm-hmm. from love, from light, anything. It was something in me that was being born uh, as a right. recognition that we don't have to choose our identity. Like, I don't have to identify with my feelings right. of depression and anxiety mm-hmm. as like, this is me. I need medication. What's wrong with me? Look at me. I'm such a victim with this mm-hmm. experience and there's something right. wrong with my body. No, it was literally because of the numbing effects of the circumstances, and that can look like the numbing effects of the the suburban mom, like day to day, who does, who's never really known like the deep, deep depths, because she's just dancing in this space of not knowing what real light and love looks like and real dark. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's just sort of this avoidance,
0: right? Um, Staying
1: content. Complacent. Yes, yeah, yeah, complacent, and it's and a slow, and it can look yeah. like a slow death instead of mine, yeah. which was like, bam, yeah. you're like, package your stuff, we're taking you, um, and over and over and over again.
0: Yeah, so you chose not to be broken, and you went on from 18, you went into college, so did you carry any of what you were, were learning, because you've obviously had to pick yourself up a couple times before you even got to that place. Yeah. Oh my God. I had to but pick myself up. And like day. life has a way of keep like, it just throws these things at you. Yeah. It, especially around that young adult time. I feel right. Yeah. So,
1: um, when I went to college, because that was an important turning point for me where I was now choosing my independence, right? Like mm-hmm. independence was thrown upon me and, and it's very healthy. Like I've recognized, you know, independence of mind, heart, finances, mm-hmm. everything, being responsible for each and every one of our own life results is just part of the, uh, rite of passage, yeah. you know, Learning to, to be
0: accountable for yourself. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: exactly. And the, and that and so, you know, whether it's thrown mm-hmm. on you, like in my situation, or if it's, be stout upon you from loving parents who really know how to parent and recognize like, Hey, we're going to teach you some tough love here. You have Mm -hmm. to, you know, you need to be independent. And so that being said, I made the choice now to be independent by, um, by going to college. And it was never like, people have always said like, Oh, you know, you, you know, it's for kids in foster homes. It's not, normal for them to go away to college and like make something of themselves. They sort of become part of the system again. And and for some reason I just had always had it in my, my heart my mind that I was going to be better than the situation. So I used all of the negative stuff and I made the choice to use it to inspire me to be better, to not be like that, to not be those behaviors or to be those circumstances. And so I, um, so I remember just, you know, thinking, of course I'm going to college. Of course I'm going to, you know, graduate. And it doesn't matter what comes my way, I'm going to make that happen. And that's where I felt, you know, power in my life for the first time, right? Is, is when I made these choices to bravely step out onto like the edge of the cliff and have no idea if there's like a, uh, you know, something to protect me from the fall but I wanted to experience flying. Right. Right. So it's like, so you step out and I, and I would have to, because it's literally like, there's no other choice. It's that or, or imminent death, like by just sitting in a box and like not achieving, not trying to do anything. And so, so it just became something that of course I was going to do and, and um
0: did your identity change at all around that time like were did you feel yourself or did you feel yourself taking on this energy of I am definitely not going to be like this yeah I um like did you share who you like your story and your background when you were in college
1: yeah even in high school like I would share a lot and I think because when I would share these circumstances I maybe I've always kind of laughed about this because I, am not going to lie. Like I definitely used my story to like get more financial aid to, Mm -hmm. I found myself leveraging my story in a way that like, I almost kind of felt icky about because I was like, I recognized that when I told my story that it got me accolades, that people were like, wow, you're a survivor. Mm -hmm. You know, you are inspiring. Like, you know, how did you do that? Or, and so I kept this story alive and it's actually kind of, kind of gross in some ways because like especially in dating I would talk about my story all the time and like I kind of used it as a way of like testing men mm-hmm. to see like are they strong enough to handle this like yeah. are they going to be freaked out
0: or do they know what's in front of them yeah do they yeah.
1: understand the woman that's sitting in front of them mm-hmm. like can they be with my power can they will they Will they cast me out because mm-hmm. they are intimidated by the strength that I know I have and you know will that scare them and and honestly it has scared and
0: of course many and not
1: all of them um but it has scared people and and then i've had to deal with the heartache around that because um because and the reason i say this too is that there is a way to be that doesn't look like trying to test someone right mm-hmm. like i can be responsible for the fact that like that not everyone has had these experiences and that doesn't make them better or worse or me better than them or stronger than them or, but I almost, like I said, I went through this stage for a long time where I, where I used that story and I should I don't know, used it, shared it, whatever Mm -hmm. I would share it very openly. And, and there was a cost to that. There was a, Mm -hmm. there was, I got something from it, which was, like I said, I got to be admired, but there was also this separation that would occur, where I felt like I'm never going to be like any of them. Like I'm never mm-hmm. going to relate to someone who's like hasn't had like massive shit happen to them. Right. So
0: you're almost like a, you're establishing your
1: identity in my separation circles.
0: Yeah. Yeah. My mm-hmm.
1: separation, and so and that yeah. would lead to this anxiety and this depression even more, right? So right. even though on the outside I could appear as like this strong woman. I would be on the inside. I knew that I was like so alone and so sad and like feeling victimized by, by having experienced such adversity at such a young age. And so, and so I'm still learning how to like approach that and not mm-hmm. be um, like still be powerful, but have it look like compassion and not trying to be in someone's face. Right. And yeah. what,
0: what helped me with that? Cause I struggled with, a lot of the things that that you're saying is, um, when you're sharing your story, you are actually putting the power into other people to choose. Like, mm. am I for you or am I not? Right. And you want people to to make that choice because I feel like when you're, when you're trying to be for everybody and you're forcing a compatibility, it only creates more chaos. Like you guys are only going to get hurt. So, even though, cause. We're human and we like to be liked. And I know that I'm a sucker for affection. Like, I yeah. love to be loved. Yeah. Who does it? Right. <laughs> and so, like, if I'm sharing my story and what I do with somebody and they're like, I don't know if, if this is for me, it took me a long time to get to this place. But I learned, you know what? That's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it's okay for. It's not that they don't accept me, it's just, it's. The energy's not right, not there for that. Yeah. So, yeah, after college, well, what did you graduate with? What was your degree?
1: So, I should say, so I went through four years of college over the course of seven years at three different schools. Yeah. So, um, I have right. a similar story. <laughs>
0: yeah. So, and then everyone would be like,
1: oh, you're not going to make it, like, if you take a year off. And it really was, again, me just trying to find my way and, and experience homelessness in that space and like, again, more and more adversity in the space of just trying to get my degree. Yeah. Um, like, why
0: does this have to be so hard? Yeah, why does it have to
1: be so hard? I just, like, I just want to get my degree. Right. And, and so, yeah, so I graduated with a Bachelor of Science in Speech and Marketing uh, and Communications. Marketing Communications, I can't remember what it was. Mm-hmm. Marketing something in Communications mm-hmm. from Emerson College in Boston.
0: How did you handle the adversity in college? Did you build up? a support system, um, Mm. what got you through it? Honestly, I mean, it was a
1: lot of the same moving around, like having to be, having to, because it wasn't the support there. I, I mean, even like when you're in college and you're a foster kid, you don't have parents to go and spend the summer with and, you know, or, or Christmas break with, like you literally like, and I would have to be sort of at the whim of like, okay, I can't afford, uh, you know, to go back this next semester or, or, hey, I've changed my degree. Like, you know, like most college kids like, oh, I think I want to do this now. Like, it's sort of like this unfolding kept occurring, but I had no guidance, like nobody, mm-hmm. no, no adults to really guide me in any of it. So, oh gosh, it was like, when I think back to all that stuff, I'm like, no. No wonder
0: why I'm like I'm <laughs> the way I am. Um, yeah, because now you're very organized. You have a plan. You yeah, know, I mean, well, maybe I feel maybe. like you anticipate very well.
1: Yeah. I, well, I don't. I, yeah, I
0: still don't know what I
1: don't know around a lot of stuff. But I, <laughs> but I probably, yeah, maybe mm-hmm. to the maybe to someone else, it looks like that because mm-hmm. I have so much life experience of like not knowing what the heck I'm doing and you Mm -hmm. have to figure it out. And literally everything's like thrown up in the air and you're just trying to find the pieces so that you can put them together and build something that you can stand on. And so versus it feeling like
0: quicksand. Mm -hmm. Um, So when did that moment of transcendence come for you? Was it close to the time where you graduated? No, it was actually, um, that,
1: when I graduated, so I, I had met a boy, I'll say a boy, um, because we were both very young, but we, um, I had met someone, and I was very fortunate to have, in those earlier stages, to have aligned with, let's say, probably two significant relationships, like two boys, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. that are now men, but two boys that really were my, rocks um they weren't very ambitious um but they had like the biggest of hearts and just so loved and adored me and like were just trustworthy and like really simple Mm -hmm. like in a good way I needed simple um and I don't mean that even just to make it them sound like they're not like simple-minded or anything like that there was just the simplicity and this Mm -hmm. this like the simplicity to who they were and probably still are. I don't, I don't, um, they're both married now and all that, but, but there was the simplicity that they gave me that. And I think I gave them a level of complexity mm-hmm. and they probably balanced it. That's probably why they were mm-hmm. drawn to me is that I gave them some level of excitement and all of that. But yeah, I, so I married one, right? So I and mean, he, he and I met when I was in my last year of college and, and I just um, remember just feeling so safe with him. Like, so, like, that deep sigh of, like, oh, I can count on this guy. Like, thank God. He's my hero. And poor guy didn't want, like, all of this responsibility. Um, but he really was saving me. Like, I look back and he really did save me. And and I, he saved me so much. Or maybe I gave him such an experience of, of him feeling so powerful of being able to really contribute to another human being who was so vulnerable and scared and he wanted to give me the world. And so he proposed, he bought a ring like after a few months of dating and, and, and he was so committed that he proposed to me at five months of dating. And what happened was this uh, just like tough lesson that I had been conditioned, right? So I had learned to keep my mouth shut for over the years. And,
0: um, Is Oscar snoring. into the microphone? <laughs> He's like my lap.
1: Um, so yeah, so he proposed, right. And, and what that looked like was Christmas Eve. I went to Virginia to meet, you know, to be with his family. I had met them just one brief time, maybe a, a month prior for Thanksgiving. And, they had um, invited me to be the first person to open a Christmas gift on Christmas Eve. And so I was like, okay, I'll play along. And so I opened the Christmas present and pulled out this big teddy bear. And his mom and his brother were sitting there very, you know, looking at me, you know, uh, just looking at me. Mm -hmm. And and nobody was, I was like, oh, thanks. You know, thanks for the Mm -hmm. bear. And, And nobody was really kind of like, responding like they I just had this experience (laughs) that they were very intense Uh like I'm like gosh these people are really intense like what like and so anyway apparently there was a box on the teddy bear's lap and part of their plan as a family um, for Matthew proposing to me was that I would see this box on this teddy bear's lap and so anyway so they said oh there's a there's a box in the bottom of the of this smaller box so I so I pulled this out and my boyfriend at the time Matthew was sitting there kind of lounging on the on the couch you know with his arm up and his legs crossed and he's sort of very relaxed and I pull out this jewelry box and it says something like um, in every thought of my heart I am yours something sweet like that and so I open the box and there's a wedding ring or an engagement ring and Matthew is sitting there still with his arm on the couch and his legs crossed and he doesn't get up and do anything. He's 23. Right. So apparently I found out later on that he saw plenty of movies where women jump for joy as soon as they get a wedding ring or get proposed to, or see a, see a ring, a diamond ring. Right. He didn't even do anything at that point. He just is expecting me to be like elated. That this is what I've been waiting my entire life for. No, I was not that person. You didn't person. even expect that. I yeah. didn't even <laughs> wasn't looking for it. I think I had something in a moment of like sweet embrace, you know, at the one and a half months in dating, where I said something like I could picture marrying you someday. Mm-hmm. That's the only indication or any discussion we'd ever had, and it was just young, naive, innocent love, and I found myself with the experience of something very different than that. And that's where any um, adversity, I now had a choice and I wasn't uh, aware of how I was conditioned. And so I made a choice and, and I said, so I said, Matthew, what is this ring doing in here? And his mom and his brother are looking at me. His brother's got a camera on me. His mom's, sta- I don't even know his mom, you know, she's mm-hmm. staring at me. I'm like, you know, the, the vessel for her future grandchildren. I mean, so she's got a lot riding on this, you <laughs> yeah. know. And, and, um.
0: Yeah, a lot of expectations. A lot sure. of expectations, you, yes. And exactly. I'm just
1: trying to get through college. Like, I'm not, I have, yeah. I have like six or seven months left till graduation at this mm-hmm. point. And anyway, so he said, will you marry me? And he said, he, again, had his arm back on the couch. And, and I just meekly said, like, yes you know, yes. Mm. I remember just saying it like really awkward, like Uh, not sure. Like mm -hmm. it was awkward. And all I remember is they all get up and jump for joy. They go grab champagne. There's pictures of me with the champagne. I still have this picture. And I look back at that like moment of such innocence and who I was. And I think like, like, this like moment that I'm talking about as far as what you asked of enlightenment, it started with that moment because that was where I had my, I had the ability to say no or to speak up and say something
0: else, but I didn't. Right. So Are, I, would you even have known what that would have looked well, like? Well, I at just,
1: the time? I just remember, I just remember not being ready. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know, you know, I didn't, yeah. I wasn't ready. So, but I didn't know what ready looked like. Right. So I'm thinking what's wrong with me? Why wouldn't I want to marry this person? So, so really, again, as far as what existed in time and space is that they get up and get the champagne. There's a picture taken. I'm wearing this ring. I said yes, meekly, unsure. I go downstairs into his bedroom in his mom's home, right? And I, I was crying. Mm. And he comes down and he says, what's wrong? and this where i had the moment to say to speak up and i and all i could muster all i knew how to say was i don't know what's wrong but i feel like you're being selfish and i just remember saying that and i remember him ignoring it mm. him hugging me more he got kind of like he didn't want to hear it and mm. because he loved me and he he didn't know what to do right and so so that Looked like the next year, we, we, uh, by the way, I got swept up. We went, you know, in a way we, we all got put in the car. We're like going to Mm -hmm. this other Christmas party that in this neighborhood. And, and it's all of these people I don't know. And they're like, they all knew about it. It was like, Oh, you're married. Like, what are you going to wear? When are you going to get married? Like all these questions. And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm not ready for this. (laughs) And so I just pretended like, okay, I'm, 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 I'm in this, I guess I'm, I said, yes. So I, a year later, I, I finished school. We, he and I, we met in Boston, and I was going to college at the time. And so he, he continued, like, we continued dating, and now we're engaged. And, and, and I remember um, when we walked down the aisle, I was so numb. Like, I remember graduating. I was so numb. And then, like, moving to Virginia, I was so numb Uh, we were going to be with his parents and his or his family. And that was, and I was like, Oh good. We'll have a, I'll have a family. So moved to Virginia in the middle of nowhere. I felt like it was, you know, uh, Madison, Virginia, middle of nowhere compared to Boston. Mm -hmm. And I am just like in the country, these are farm people, you know, like we're like, it's very simple. Like everyone has lived there their entire life. They don't travel anywhere. It's just like what you do, and here I was, like in this environment that felt like another foster home. I was literally being swept up, and not nobody was listening to really what I wanted, and I didn't even know how to say what I wanted. So, so I'm walking down the aisle, and like I said, it, it has just been this constant experience of being numb. Every weekend, I would deal with deep, deep depression. I mean, really. Mm-hmm. Throughout the week, I was okay because I had a place to go, I had work to do, I had a job, but I was really in the weekends. I was super depressed, and I didn't understand why. It was again like this, this, this. It was almost like all of this deep sadness that I hadn't really dealt with, or had support around, Mm. was just like it's like it comes up in those quiet spaces. Oh my god! It was. It, I mean, I couldn't get out of bed. I was, I couldn't fake it. I mean, yeah. I know his family was like, what's wrong with her, you know? And I just, like, had to keep pretending like everything was okay. And but, because, again, I didn't know what was wrong.
0: Because you're supposed to, like, want what you have. Yeah, i right? like like supposed to. to like, to this guy is great.
1: It? Like, he, yeah. who wouldn't want to marry him? He's, mm-hmm. like, this great guy. He's loving and supportive and attractive and athletic and
0: so you internalize that and you're like,
1: what's wrong with what's me? wrong with me. And so yeah. i just said, something's just wrong with me. I'll deal with it. So I didn't take any, whenever he had going on, by the way, he had stuff that he needed to be responsible for that unfolded over the next six years while we were together. But I, and I knew that, but I didn't, you know, again, it was just sort of like, Oh, I'll be responsible for my own stuff. So I'm like deep in the work, journaling, like self-discovery, But he was just not into any of that. He wasn't, Mm -hmm. he was just like happy with his life. You know, he found a woman that was very driven and, you know, um, passionate. And like he explained, that was kind of like a tornado, like a storm. And he loved the storm. and, And, but I walked down the aisle and I remember I never forgave myself for years and years and years. It's only been really more recently that I forgave myself for this. But I remember walking down the aisle and I said to myself, I can get out of this and like said the vows till death do us part Through love. And I mean through like health and sickness or whatever, Mm -hmm. all the vows. And I was a complete fraud and I knew it and I was trapped. And so I didn't have any self-respect. I didn't have any integrity, no honor. I wasn't happy. I was miserable. And this, poor person. I felt like I had deceived him. Whether that's true or not is right. not really another whole convers- conversation. Sure. I mean, I did speak up but he didn't listen and, and he saw signs too, right? Mm-hmm.
0: So, when, so you're put into this environment where it's almost like you're doing what you've always known to do like just putting one foot in front of the other and also now you have this new situation where these expectations are being put on you to where, you know, a lot of what you're doing is just to fit the status quo to fit the mold to be the people pleaser to not upset anybody right because you care about them yeah and my life you know what's the most important yeah. part in all of this is that my
1: my the roof over my head <laughs> the roof over my head counted on me being this way
0: oh yeah so there's a lot writing. On, on yeah YouTube. we're not talking about like I mean, so it was, was also survival it was yeah. survival yeah so when did when did you make that that step towards your own happiness.
1: When I started getting really honest about my stuff and I took this, I took a course. um, There's many things that wake us up out there. And I had taken this, um, this transformational experiential learning seminar that was three days long. And it was called landmark um, education. And there's, like I said, that, and then I've seen other courses that, that offer these kinds of experiences. But I, but I was willing to step into that. And I just, I took this course and it just woke me up mm. and I started to be really, I started to step into that darkness and like hold my flashlight. Like I knew yes. I had a flashlight somewhere and I knew that I had like this little like light inside of me. And, and I just took that into that space and I just took responsibility for who I have been that created the results I was having that looked like depression and anxiety yeah. and having one foot out the door and in my marriage and, all of the things that look nasty and that, you know, anyone would say, who are you? Like, why did you, you know, could judge me on? I just, I bravely stepped into that space and took responsibility.
0: While you were married? While show. I was okay. married, yeah. Mm-hmm. And,
1: I, and I was like, in that space, I kept saying, this is what I need from you. This is mm-hmm. what I need. So I was speaking up. And he was, and I had been doing that for a few years with him around our finances. Cause we're mm-hmm. talking about survival, right? This is a woman who's like, knows how to step up. And so he allowed me to do that. I was the breadwinner. I was the one handling the finances cause he didn't want to deal with it. Mm-hmm. He didn't really care about making more money or vacation, taking vacations or saving money. His parents were going to help him out or his family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was just his conditioning. So I knew that the, for me that that made me feel more masculine. It made me feel like I, I wasn't, I was like a ball buster, I didn't feel like I could rest and be provided and taken care of and receive. Mm -hmm. I had never even known how to do those things, but I knew that this, this masculine mode that I was in was not what I felt natural to me or what I wanted. So I made this, the courageous move to, to get separated and to, um, and to create separate living spaces and, and really just like, I didn't know what that looked like. If it looked like divorce, I really honestly didn't have divorce in my world. It, of course, that's a natural possibility for getting separated. But in my world, getting separated was I'm going to work on myself. You work on yourself. We'll come back together. And, um, and that's when he met someone and he's now, he's been married to that person um, ever since. And, and that was my moment of breaking, like breaking big mm. time because I now. Do you like, feel like
0: it backfired on you? Well, like... it
1: was like a necessary evil. Yeah. I knew what I was doing. I knew that I was stepping into what felt good for me and in, right. You're in alignment. You're
0: stepping into your integrity. But
1: yeah. I always, but I had him as my safety net. I had this right. man that loved and adored me and believed in me wanted to be with me. And he was my family and he was my support. Mm. And he was my, my shite, knight, knight in shining armor at one point yeah. in my life. And now I was literally, he just made the choice to move on and give that to someone else. I literally now, any experience of safety that he had provided me for the first time in my life was gone again. So I now had to like, I shook my world. Like again, it brought up all my stuff. And in that, like I said, I had this moment where I had been doing all these self-help books. All of this was born out of that and journaling going to church taking classes i mean i could not get enough i was so
0: hungry for for being for taking control back of my life again yeah and you and in cuz i've had a moment like that too where you literally go after everything so every book yeah. every healer you you soak up information and knowledge about the universe um, so quickly was there anything during that experience that what worked for you and what didn't work for you?
1: Yeah, um, you know, I think when I hear you say that, because there's so such a gift in us seeking knowledge and light and love, whether it's through books or podcasts or seminars or church or music or walking out in nature. I mean, mm-hmm. anything that has you feel good, from this sort of natural derivative, right? Like, I mean, cause lately this whole other conversation about drugs and alcohol has come up for me, um, mm-hmm. because I've seen people coping with that and that has them feel good. And, um, there's nothing right or wrong around it. It's just that there is, there is a cost okay. at, uh, when, when we choose to align with a stimulant, something that we press a button and we get this mm-hmm. like reward, um, chemically induced. And, um, And so anyway, so I just, for whatever reason, chose not to do those things. I just saw that there was, it was almost more adversity to, to, on the other Mm -hmm. end of that elatedness that might, someone might experience from doing those things. But, and I should admit, I did, I probably was drinking a little too much like most 20 something year olds do for a period of time. Um, So I was like, oh, this doesn't work.
0: This mm-hmm. Yeah, so you knew that, right? I way. knew that, that right? It just away. didn't work. For yeah.
1: You. So what did work? But for what you? worked is that I um I think it was just it was honestly like it was it was almost like everything that came together, like I said all the books the seminars, everything. It was just there was this awakening in me that honestly occurred like I said it was it was at night and I never mm-hmm. shared this before I don't think. No. But Mm-mm. Okay, so in I I was sleeping one night. It was, I was, you know, I, at this point I had been separated and maybe, I don't even know if I was divorced at that point. I could do the math, but either way I was on my own. I was living in my house by myself. I was sleeping alone, sleeping a lot by the way, Mm -hmm. and just, um, trying to heal. And, and there was this moment after probably the darkest of darks again with my, with my ex-husband, um, meeting this other woman where I had this epiphany and I was sleeping, like I said, and I had this vision of this Y in my, the shape of a Y wasn't actually the letter Y, but it was just the shape of a Y and, and all of these concepts, words, it just looked like words plugging themselves in. And, and this again is while I'm sleeping. They're plugging themselves in. And I just remember it was sort of this, like this, this, Recognition in me of the way my brain was sorting all of this knowledge that I had been taking in for years and years and years it was coming together in this sort of congruent picture in my mind and I started to recognize like these words started to look like um, uh, love and hate uh, light and dark uh, good and bad. Mm-hmm. It was all the the spectrum. Right. I hadn't thought about that before. Mm-hmm. It was the entire spectrum. Oh, so they weren't just polarized words. It was. It was yeah. It was the polarized came oh, out okay. first, but then the but the spectrum that filled in, and it was all these again from reading Wayne Dyer and taking these seminars, going to church, studying religion, um, being out in nature, whatever. Like all of these things started to, I started to have this awareness that 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 they were all the same thing, that people were just using different ways to describe mm-hmm. them. And so, because I never bought into any one specific way of any of it. I always was like
0: open to mm-hmm. many different ways of expressing that. Or you take little parts from a lot of different things. Yeah, and yeah. I wanted to
1: make it my own. And so, and as I'm sleeping, I started to like wake up and I was like, man, I'm onto something like I was, and I I remember having the thought of, okay, already I'll wake up and write it down. Like it wouldn't leave me alone. It had me by its grips. And I woke up, grabbed my journal from the side, you know, from my nightstand where I always kept it. And I just immediately started capturing what I remembered and what was going through my mind. And I started obviously engaging with it in an intelligent way at this point because I'm awake. And it was probably around, you know, sunrise around this time. And I would always write, um, the date on the piece of paper, you know, on the journal, in the journal entry. And like I said, my experience of writing this all down was just this moment of enlightenment. And like, I was like, holy crap, I get it. I get the design of life. Like I get the game, like I kind of got the 10,000 foot overview, but it was my interpret. It was sort of, you know, my interpretation, my, it was my, um, acknowledgement of an all existing in the same space. I didn't have to have this ideology or this belief over here, or have be separate from each other because it never seemed right to me. It never mm-hmm. felt like it worked. There was mm-hmm. not a flow to that. I didn't like the boxes. Like mm-hmm. I wanted to be, you know, I, I was really flowing in between all these States, but Long story short, we can make this mean whatever we want it to mean. I don't know. I still don't know. But that day happened to be Easter morning. And I'll never forget it. I was writing the date down because it sort of it occurred to me like, oh, it's this Sunday. It's Easter morning. And I was just like, I remember getting chills because there was something about the symbolic nature of like Easter and... Sort of this rebirth and this uh, separation of who you were. Yes, separation from like (laughs) the physical, like any ties that like kept me kept me in my body that were that were not really who I was and. And so I wrote this date down and I just every single Easter now and, and you know and I would have to ask myself like what does that mean? Like how do you not believe in Jesus Christ? Like how do you deny that this man existed? I, I still don't know, but I but I do know for me that there was something that was occurring on that specific day, and if it's an accident, let it be an accident. I don't know. I'm gonna take it as my own opportunity to align with something that
0: well it was like your birthday
1: it was, it your was really day. my yeah. birthday I know <laughs> I know and my birthday was actually like 10 days later like I'm you know born oh, in yeah, April. Yeah, yeah I'm born in April
0: so mm-hmm. no I totally get that I I know that every time I have because I learned a lot through my dreams too mm. um but yeah, every time I have like a transcendent experience, I remember the day and it makes me so happy. I'm like, oh, this is the anniversary of what I learned about this. Yes. <laughs> so after your transcendent experience um, and you're stepping into integrity and becoming more in alignment with who you really are, you seem to, is that when you really started getting into your adventures? Because I know that you're really big into mountaineering. Mm-hmm. Like, you, How many mountains have you climbed so far and what... What got you into that? Yeah, because you do that by yourself, right? Like you just go yeah, off and right. climb a mountain.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I you know you can sign up to be part of guide services, uh, right? Sure. So you're not just out there all on your own. But right. yes, it's like, there's but nobody's like holding your
0: hand, like dragging you to no, do it. You're, no, you're like I want to do. that. I know. I always I think that
1: after over time, once I started building a foundation of being responsible for my own finances and my own happiness, right? I, I really spent a lot of time on my own for Mm -hmm. quite a while after that, because I wanted to, I was committed to seeking out if I could experience love in the world without a man in my world. And that was really, it was never meant to be a permanent plan. I've recognized that now that Mm -hmm. I have to recreate something else to have Mm -hmm. that man be part of that. But I really was committed to, you know, just wanting to be like find love in other ways. And so I started to get really curious about the things that had me feel good, and one of them was being physically active. And um, and as I was able to calm my mind and my heart, with this seeking stage, I then found myself filled up enough to have like a lot of energy towards physically exerting myself. And so I liked the idea of challenging myself and putting myself in situations that. Had me touch up against my vulnerability and my weakness, mm. and there's nothing like being in your body and physically like running a marathon or climbing a mountain for 18 hours or uh,
0: crawling across like a 20 foot crevasse. Yes. Oh my God. Well, that was that was eight
1: feet, but um, but yeah, I mean,
0: or you know, anything uh, like that to. was the one that you knew of.
1: Yes. Yeah, and all of it was like re- what happened then is it started to become, and even to this day, as a as like this, you know, 41 year old woman. Now it's like, I find myself like starting businesses and whether, you know, and, and taking courageous, bold moves that have me be in touch and never lose sight of the, the struggle. And I really think that's kind of this, it's a really, um, interesting balancing act to stay connected to struggle
0: or to know where you've been and to know that you've overcome it.
1: Yeah, and just to kind of remind ourselves that, like, that, this, that the that the beauty of overcoming something is can't really be achieved fully without the struggle. Right. So, like, I've noticed that I've put myself in situations where I'm, like, almost inducing a little bit of struggle. And, I, you know, and again, I have to be mm-hmm. curious about, like, okay, how else yeah. am I doing that, like, especially with my love life. But what, situ- you know, what... What is having me, what has me stay connected to that, um, That uh, like all of the goodies that come from um, overcoming
0: something? Right. I like to say that if you're comfortable, you're not growing. So you're mm. constantly putting yourself in, in a yeah. state of growth. Yeah, I love that. So how did you get to that place? Uh, because obviously through the separation, I went through something very similar where I slept a lot. Mm -hmm. I drank a lot. Mm -hmm. I couldn't pull myself out of bed. And I was in this deep, dark depression to where I had to, it got to the point where I recognized that one, I was tired of being tired, but two, I just need to make, small choices, like the small decisions to get better. So Mm -hmm. did you have a similar experience to that? And what were the choices that you made? Yeah,
1: it looked like and that's a part of that drawing, by the way, it was like these, um, these little steps that had me recognize that these are little daily choices. Yeah, the drawing from your dream. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was like, it looked like, um, you know, how do I practice this staying in the light, like this side of the drawing that was that looked like light and love and, and living a life of meaning and purpose. Mm. And, and th- there were practices that I had I captured, again, through, through practice and reading and whatever, mm. was um, it looked like for me exercise, journaling, meditating, rest, um, like getting a full night's sleep, you know, making mm. sure my sleeping environment is healthy and, yeah. and yeah, ideal for what like. I know I need. Yeah. Um, for me, nutrition is huge, like making sure that I'm feeding my body and loving my body by like intentionally being aware of like things that are just not good for it or that make me feel bad, right? Like yeah. sh- too much sugar, too much fat, too much carbs. Like, so I just started to get, again, more aware of what was having me feel good mm-hmm. and, and then integrating those things and it's a constant practice i mean it's not right. like it's not like i'm literally eating perfect every day meditating sure. every day exercising every day like i fall off course all the time especially when something comes up um,
0: but you pay attention to what you I need right now but i pay attention yeah
1: and i know what i need so at least yeah. it's in my it's in my awareness and i can choose and for me to not choose or t- to not do that not align with it is you know it looks Sort of, you know, or I should just say that to choose to align with it looks like loving myself, right? So,
0: what does it look like when you fall out of alignment? Like, how do you know how when it's time to put yourself back on course? Oh my gosh, it looks like exhaustion, yeah. For me, it's Mm -hmm. physical exhaustion when something is just too hard to do, or yeah, it's or um, it shouldn't be that hard.
1: Yeah, when I just, like, it, when it's a sort of an overall state of being, like, where day-to-day day I'll notice, like, oh, I'm really just kind of not motivated today mm. or not inspi- inspired. Yeah. I'm not feeling, you know, alive in my body. And what I've noticed, again, is if I can stay on top of those those five basics, and I call them this, like, I kind of identify them, too. It's, if I can remember, one is physical activity, like, making sure you move your body.
0: Mm.
1: Number two, nutrition making sure you're you know, just eating every few hours or whatever your body needs to sustain your blood sugar and to have you feel energy and to su- support muscle, um, eating enough protein and carbs uh, to sustain energy and, and the exercise. Three, rest. Am I sleeping enough at night? Um, four, water. Am I getting enough fluid? And then the last thing that I've said is intimacy. Mm-hmm. And that can look like, it doesn't have to look like physical intimacy with a man. Um, because some, some of us don't have that in our world at this moment. So, um, that can look like emotional intimacy. Do I have support groups? And, um, am I creating emotional intimacy with my friends? And maybe even, even in the process of dating men, like, am I creating emotional intimacy first with them? Um, as I discover who they are and how I feel around them. So again, exercise, rest, nutrition, water, and intimacy. If I've got those five things in alignment, the rest, everything else will kind of be born out of that. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah.
1: Those, whenever I feel off, I ask myself like, you know, let's get back to basics, Heidi. Like what's off here?
0: Or what's missing. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, Okay. So let's talk a little bit about, because you have a couple publications. So what made you want to start those? What are some of the struggles that you faced and how did you overcome them?
1: Yeah, I, well, when I got my degree, right, I started going down a path um, that looked like making money. And mm-hmm. so I started, um, I ended up working in more of the sales path. And that looked like working with medical device companies, pharmaceutical companies, um, IT consulting company. And I, in, in all of this, like being responsible for being in alignment with things that provided my life meaning. And purpose, I realized that those things didn't fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I love the business and the, the hustle of it, I like the self-starter aspect of it. I, I knew how to do those things. I knew from my survivor days of how to make something from nothing. So I was really good with that. And I liked that actually um, reminds me of who I am and what I'm capable of. And so I had the opportunity to work with this publishing company and it just was something that I learned about. And I said, you know what, that actually is something that I really like the idea of like working for myself or, you know, and, and again, being really responsible for the results like financially. And so I started working with a a company that, uh, as an independent contractor to, um, basically create community and what that looked like is working with um uh neighborhoods a couple of different neighborhoods um first it was in Kirkland Washington and i essentially created a neighborhood newsletter and the warm fuzzy side of that was that i got to be at the source of building community and helping neighbors get to know each other and it was the complete antithesis of what i grew up in right i didn't grow up in an environment that looked like knowing my neighbors or celebrating the Joneses down the street. I mean, or the simple things like just shining a light on and celebrating family. Um, so I liked that I could bring that element into my life. Um, and, and like I said, be at the source of creating it instead of waiting for it to happen in some way. Mm -hmm. And, and then I also liked the business aspect of like the, the accomplishment and the sense of achievement that I got out of you know, again, starting a business from the ground up and, you know, and dealing with the failure and the success and, and knowing both sides of those coins and, and, um, and sometimes it gets the better of me. Cause I have dealt with like a very successful business where I built it up to six figures and sold it for six figures. And, and then, um, most recently in the last year, um, still working with that company, moving to a place that I absolutely love, San Diego, and um, and sort of accidentally or un- unknowingly choosing a-, a niche that doesn't really necessarily work with our model uh, all the time, which is, again, we work with affluent neighborhoods. Because if you're going to work with a neighborhood, you're going to also be responsible for the finances that go into that mm-hmm. product. You have to align with what the market wants, and there are businesses who... They are only interested in spending money on where they feel like they're getting a return on investment. Right. So you
0: need to make your business sustainable.
1: Yes, exactly. And mm-hmm. so I hadn't done that, and there's a bunch of reasons and story I could go into about that, and it doesn't even matter. But now I know, you know, again, I know both sides of failure and success, and uh, now I get to choose something different. So now I'm starting a third publication, mm-hmm. and um, I'm really excited about it. I have two months of making it happen. And I'm using every single resource that I have internally to make that happen. And I really do see myself having the life of my dreams, living in the place that I love, and literally, I feel like it's so easy and it's so right in my grasp, and it's just a few months away. And like you could
0: almost touch
1: it. I can almost touch it, <laughs> yeah. and I'm very impatient. Yeah. So I'm dealing with that. <laughs> But I'm, Mm -hmm. um, and the fear that comes up with it and the anxiety that comes up with it, but I'm, I'm tapping into that soft spot in, in the rest, you know, in the, in the exhale that looks like trusting and faith. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I think it's really, it's kind of this beautiful dance between faith and trust and action. Mm-hmm. So it's it's literally, like, faith and trust in action mm-hmm. is, like, my mantra right now.
0: Yeah. I love that. So what books um, – because you have, a really beautiful bookshelf right here. Mm-hmm. Which ones – if you had to pick one or two of them, which ones really helped you the most?
1: Oh, my gosh. You know, I mean, well, I always – I love the first book that I – Happened upon that I felt like really woke me up, and for whatever reason, it it um the unmistakable touch of grace. I can't remember her first name off the top of my head, but anyway, but unmistakable touch of grace, and her last name is Richardson. Yeah, we'll look it up. Yeah, look it up, and it's mm-hmm. and it and it was about this uh, acknowledgement again, or recognition about what's this word grace mean? Like I was kind of curious cause I've heard it used in a religious sense. Didn't know what all of that meant. Uh, but I was curious and it jumped out at me sort of in the bookstore at the time. And it was about how circumstances happen, right? Where life is going to happen, everything. So we can choose to look at it a couple of different ways. We can look at it as the, the very fact that this could really likely be true is that, um, is that, you know, we're all sort of bumping into each other. It's all sort of, we're just crashing into each other and it's all like, looks like chaos and there's no purpose to any of it or any meaning. And, and like I said, there, that is very well could be true. All I know though, when I try that view on is that my life kind of sucks. Like (laughs) life feels empty and it doesn't work. And I feel like jumping (laughs) like it doesn't, it doesn't inspire me. It doesn't have me feel connected. So if I have a choice, why not choose something else? So that's Mm -hmm. what's beautiful about being human, right, is we can choose Mm -hmm. something else. So the other option she provides, this other view, is that what if you actually try on that life happens for a reason, that the people that come into your life, that there's no mistakes, that that everything does have a purpose, and your job, your only job is to stay curious about that and stay Mm -hmm. open and receptive and, like just to trust it. And so again, that could very well be true too. And and really at the end of the day, we as the creator get to decide what is true. So when I tried that view on, I found that like I did feel connected and I did feel more inspired and I so I started to create meaning in my my home. Like I started to look at the items that I had and the things I surrounded myself and to really just be be conscious of like symbols and things, you know, and whatever made me, reminded me of what I was about. I was going to choose that one. So, um, so I chose to live a life with meaning. The second book, like I said, is I really do feel like, I mean, um, uh, well, I would say emergence. I already talked about, but I haven't finished it. So I'm not going, I, but Mm -hmm. I, so far I love it. But the second book that has really made an impact on me is David Data's Way of the Superior Man. And this is a book that is written for men by a man. And for some reason, I just dig it. Like, I get it. It's like my world. And I realize that what... He talks about masculine and feminine energy. And he does it in a way that, like, if you can get by the creepy voice, like, if you watch him on YouTube, which, like and the oversized shirts and like it's outdated <laughs> and the videography is awful. Like just
0: listen to the message. Just listen to
1: the words. This <laughs> man is a genius. And yeah. it really is this beautiful uh, expression of, of like I said, this masculine and feminine energy. And you can really see it at play in so many areas. Like, especially within myself, I recognize that because of the way I had grown up and many, many of us women like grow up or mm-hmm. and even men, you know, it depends, whatever but I grew up in a very masculine energy environment where it was about survival and about like independence and being strong and don't show your feelings. And, Mm -hmm. you know, don't be all like warm and touchy, warm and, you know, fuzzy creative. It was about just getting things done. And I realized that 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 doesn't work. I'm, it doesn't work in relationships with men. It's men, men do not want to date men. So uh, and the kind of man, right? The kind of man that's yeah. very masculine that I would want to date. He wouldn't want to date a woman that's that's like a man. So w- what I've recognized is that I've had I've learned to soften and to be more in this receptive mode and this um, feeling space and to really feel in my body and and really tap into all the amazing beauty that is that feminine essence that mm. we are as women. And to recognize that the polars exist for a reason, that, that yeah. we we cannot magnetize the opposite if we are not really sitting in our feminine. That being said, the women that are very feminine their whole lives, they've always been taken care of, they've always received, daddy always took care of them, life always took care of them, whatever. And now they're getting this rude awakening of like what it's like to actually have to be in your masculine mm-hmm. to step into the space of being financially responsible for, um, making to having to make decisions that are hard to, you know, work on your body. It's not all going to like just happen naturally that there's that the, the, just being aware that these polars exist and that when you seek to marry that masculine and feminine inside of yourself first, before trying to marry that with outside of you, you, that there's something that, ha- that looks like the 21st century, that looks like the day and age that men and women live in now and, the, and the, 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 some of this stuff that we're all equal, but yet, yes, we're all equal. And at the same time, let's also recognize that we are still women and that we are still men and that there is this natural default and that it is our responsibility to, to be in that space and that energy so that we can bring that out in the other. Right.
0: And we also get to play in and we get to play in both energies. And I love that you read a book that was more about masculine energy but showed you how to be more feminine. Oh my god, it showed so me cool. way more how to be feminine because yeah. I
1: saw myself in so much of the masculine and he was yeah. coaching men on how to be like how to be how to bring out your masculinity so that the woman could be more feminine.
0: Oh and I was like,
1: Oh my okay. gosh. So yeah. by me be recognizing that, I was like wow, like me, by me practicing being those things that he was talking about as feminine, Mm -hmm. and he's talking about feminine qualities in men, by the way, Mm -hmm. but he was, but by him coaching men on bringing out their masculinity and their direction, their, you know, their decisiveness, this like strength, this unwavering, you know, stability that, that the female like feminine wants so badly Mm -hmm that by them aligning with that more, that that allows the kind of real feminine woman that they really want to show up and be mm-hmm. be that too.
0: Yeah,
1: just, interesting. It just says the polar exists for the women, right? I mean, like I can't, if if I'm not, I notice that when I'm more feminine and I am receiving and I'm practicing because I, I default more to the masculine side, mm-hmm. but my natural essence is feminine, but I've been conditioned masculine, right? So. Right. So when I, but when I default to that and I align to it, there's something so beautiful and I see these masculine men step into that space and they thrive yeah. and I'm still practicing. I'm still playing with it. They're, you know, whatever, but, um, but it's fun. It's more fun. And I recognize that there's something to it. That's really, um, that's really just where I'm at right now.
0: Yeah. I love that. Um, so if you had to give your, like 25-year-old self, or maybe even 30-year-old self, one piece of advice, what would it be?
1: Mm, I would say to be patient with yourself. And to trust the unfolding mm-hmm. and stay in action. That's really it, just to, to like... To trust yourself. Have compassion for where you're at. Express where you're at, and it's all okay. It's all like it's all you're exactly where you're supposed to be.
0: I love that. Okay, so how can people find out more about you and things that you're doing?
1: Um, I'm gosh, just I uh, mean mm-hmm. I'm, I'm on Facebook. It's just mm-hmm. uh, Heidi Hawkins, and I live in San Diego. And I think I, I haven't done a search for Heidi Hawkins in San Diego, but I think I'm the only one, I don't know. Um, And yeah, and then I'm on LinkedIn. Um, Like I said, I, I publish a magazine that I'm launching right now called Real Producers of Greater San Diego or Greater San Diego's Real Producers Magazine. Um, That's me. And then I also have an Instagram that is just Heidi, H-E-I-D-I dot S as in Schofield dot hawkins which is h-a-w-k-i-n-s
0: very cool awesome well thank you so much Heidi I loved hearing your story um and I didn't want to interrupt but at so many times I I just want to jump out like oh my god me too Mm -hmm. (laughs) like that happened too and and I don't I don't know what it is but for some reason I feel like it's I know that my story isn't unique Mm mm-hmm But it feels that way, you know, Mm -hmm. like, like you feel like, oh, nobody else goes through life this way or nobody experiences depression that way or uh, nobody regrets the choice they made when they said yes to get married, you Mm -hmm. know. So it's really cool to hear that connection and to know that you've taken steps that people can model after to get themselves out of that place. I know, and I think that the I'm opposite, still going through
1: that and right, like that. and I always say that the opposite of depression is expression. Mm. So just remembering, and anxiety when we we've experienced anxiety. That we have to ask ourselves, what are we anticipating in the future is going to be worse than the present moment? So those two things, like because I deal with that stuff, like sadness or disappointment and anxiousness, um, it's it's all something we all deal with. And so again, you know, just by expressing and sharing yourself and what you're doing with the podcast and, and just sharing people's stories, you never know who it's going to like touch or wake up or right. they're just going to be like, Oh my gosh, they'll have that aha moment. And it'll just be one step along their journey of where they're going to go. Yep. And you're just part of that and you're contributing to all of that.
0: And so, yeah, that's what I was really excited about in hearing your story. Cause even with, my podcast I'm like you know I don't I haven't really picked a direction I'm not sure like what I really want to do with this yet but I'm like wow if somebody hears your story and has that feeling like oh my god me too mm-hmm. you know and they they feel less lonely in the world and they feel like you know what this person did it and this is how they felt empowered I can follow in those steps like somebody was there before me mm-hmm. that made me feel really excited yeah very cool thank you so much Wow, how great was that. Thank you again, Heidi, for sharing your story and for being vulnerable and for connecting with us. I'm so positive that there is someone out there who just really needed to hear what you have to say. And I so honor your courage for choosing your passions and cultivating your strengths. Some of my favorite takeaways were the steps you can take to overcome your fear and move forward with what you want to create by starting with you and making sure that you're getting everything you need to support yourself. I'd highly recommend this simple exercise for everyone, and that's to make a list of everything that really lifts you up, that energizes you and makes you feel full of life. And explore ways of making these things a part of your daily practice and self-care rituals. It's one of the greatest ways to help you get into the practice and routine of actively choosing you every single day. If you'd like to learn more about Heidi, you can find her information as well as links to the books mentioned in this episode in the show notes section on theprismaticlife.com, as well as on the Prismatic Life and the Prismatic Academy on Facebook. Also, if you haven't done so already and if it feels right to you, please be sure to leave a rating or review either on iTunes or Stitcher. It really helps with visibility and creates greater opportunities for others who are searching for this kind of information to be available to them. You really can have a direct influence on changing people's lives, and I'm glad that this platform gets to serve others in that way. As always, I'm so grateful for you and happy that you're a part of our community, and I look forward to connecting with you guys next time. Cheers, everyone!